The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson, and I'm excited. I'm, I'm fired up because we are kicking off our spring gleaning series. This is going to be uh, an opportunity for us to, in this downtime, in a time when we would be checking in on a lot of these programs across the country because of spring practice, we're going, we're going hands all the way in the dirt, in the database, in the depth charts. We are going to be trying to see if we can piece together uh, what we know about these teams, what we are looking forward to about some of these teams, and where, you know, sometimes you can get caught the news cycle. I know, I know, only only can revolve around maybe 10, 15, 20 teams. We are giving you all of the Power 5 conferences and the biggest group of five programs so um, we're before we jump into it, uh, I do want to at least you know ask the question, see how everyone's doing. Barton, you said there are uh, there there are not great there are not great days and not bad days, or bad days and not bad days. How are we doing here on this Monday? Uh, you know, it's been a it's been a decent decent day so far. Um, uh, we're still getting up at five a.m. every morning, just to is, get ahead of a it. Struggle. Uh, no, I'm saying like the kids are getting up at 5:20, so oh. I'm like battling to get up at like 4:45 if I can, uh, and the rest of the day is just a it's a grind to the finish, man. It's uh, it's I never I, I'll never take for granted preschool and Mother's Day out again. That was that was the real deal. Tom, how are you doing? I'm great. Every day is a gift, and yeah, no, I'm bored out of my damn mind. Still, I mean, there's <laughs> so, but, but, but that was just you joking. You haven't resulted to taking uh, Etsy art and just reciting it out loud, basically. Etsy motivational no. prints. You're not to that no. point yet. No, I mean, I might, I might start, you know, sewing my own clothes. I don't know, but I'm not to that level yet. I'm still, still in that video game, movie, TV occasionally watching twitch streams what about that uh what about that bass guitar if you got that got that thing out again you a bass guy yeah yeah that's a, that is i mean that would be what you would be <laughs> like if i had to if i had to pick what you were playing in a rock band i'd go bass yeah i'm the bass player because i'm super cool and <laughs> and i i have rhythm uh, is it, you, you got that low end man yeah. yeah, yeah, baby. <laughs> low end. Lot of lot of guitar, lot of guitar over here, lot of piano. Parker's one week on, one week off at the bank. This is her week off. I don't know if she's ready for all of these home performances. I got my my kid studio. It might be like a uh, puffy making the band studio might get shut down this week, but uh, but but we will march on. All right. So as we uh, as we kick off the series with the Pac-12 North. I've got a a question, no cheating, uh, but you might know it as as we've prepared for this. 
Totally going to cheat. Do either of you know how many teams had winning conference records in the Pac-12 North in 2019? Just the one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just one. Just Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. Oregon finished first place in the Pac-12 North in a runaway. They had that thing locked up with a couple weeks left to play in the regular season, 8-1 and one conference record. The big old tie for second place was with a bunch of sub-500 uh, conference records, 4-5 and five for Washington, 4-5 and five for Cal, 4-5 and five for Oregon State, uh, and then 3-6 uh, and six Washington State, 3-6 and six Stanford uh, down at the bottom. So, I'm going to we, – we want to make sure we hit all of these. We want to make sure we've got some time uh, for all of them. But uh, I do want to at least somewhat follow the the standings as we start to navigate our way around this. So we will begin with those Oregon Ducks. Number five in the final AP poll, Rose Bowl win against Wisconsin. Uh, we lose Justin Herbert. We lose four starting offensive linemen that combined a total 177 career starts. But, hey, y'all hear that? Everyone's favorite, Penny Sewell's back. So we've got a star. Never has there been an offensive lineman who caught shine like Penny Sewell. So we know that he's going to be a big part of the promotion of this Ducks team, as will the new offensive coordinator, Joe Moorhead, who comes in after Marcus Arroyo is off to UNLV. Um, I, our early projections, and I, I would say early projections, I don't base, I'm not going to base any of these exclusively off of Bill Connolly's preseason SP, but I, I certainly go to it as one of the. One of the metrics that I would find the most reliable at this point in the calendar year, we're looking at an Oregon team, according to those metrics, that be top top 10, top 15 type caliber team. So uh, as we begin the conversation around the Oregon Ducks, uh, I, I want us to focus on the quarterback position. Do you, Who do we think is going to be in the mix for the quarterback job? And in your analysis of the Oregon Ducks, how much of that is going to make a big difference or play a role in uh, in how you think the Ducks are going to be able to play or going to be able to perform on the field this fall. So quarterback position. Barton, I'll let you well, go first. I mean, isn't it pretty safe to assume Tyler Shuck is going to be the starting quarterback? I, um, that's our expectation, right? Okay, yes. I mean, I think he would have had to play himself out of it this spring or something. Like, I, It feels like Tyler Shuck's the guy. I think that's the expectation in the building. I think that there's some. Um, I think that there's optimism. I, I liked Tyler Shuck coming out of high school. I thought he w- had a chance to be a really good player. You know, he had to get bigger and stronger. I assume that's happened. Um, but I, I think there's just going to be. And look, he's. I think he's probably more equipped to be successful in a Joe Moorhead offense than any quarterback Joe Moorhead had at Mississippi State. So that's that's an encouraging statement if you're Oregon. Um, and so the question for me is, yeah, I would have liked to see him this spring. Would have liked to see how he, how he looked. Would have liked to see how confident, comfortable he was. But also, like, it's time for Oregon's passing threats, the weapons on the perimeter to, to really, I think – take a big step forward as well. And I think there's a there's a chance that we see that too with guys like Micah Pittman who had some injuries last year. And, um, so I, I have some some optimism around the passing attack, especially like, – so so you have to look at Shuck in, in the prism of, all right, he's coming in with a new offensive coordinator. And if you weren't a fan of Marcus Arroyo's offense, yes, they're losing a first-round draft pick at quarterback and Justin Herbert, but was, was he even maximized – in the offense the last couple of years anyways. So all that said, like I don't necessarily think there has to be a huge drop off at the quarterback position. Um, yeah, and I, th- yeah, I think like, I think the lack of spring practice is really kind of securing the job for him in a way, because I mean, he clearly had the lead going in just based on the fact that, you know, he's been there the last couple of years. He's played in actual games. He's played meaningful snaps. Whereas a guy like, you know, they had four star quarterback, Jay Butterfield, in their 2020 class who maybe was thinking, you know, he enrolled early. Maybe he was thinking he comes on, he competes for the starting job. Well, now there's no practices for him to compete for the starting job this spring. So I just feel like in a way it's, it's, it's pronounced Shuck. I always thought it was show. Chuck. I, 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 he was like my, I, I was early on the Tyler Shuck train 
and uh, and so I had plenty of time to figure it out during the recruiting the recruiting uh, uh, stretch. Well, I'm gonna uh, so I'm gonna it, call it him Aw. I'm gonna call him Aw. Aw Shuck. I think that Aw Shuck has the <laughs> you know a big lead here going in. I think it's most likely he's gonna start the year as a starter. I agree with Barton there. So Tyler Shuck, a Brandon Peters All Star, uh, looks like he's probably gonna have the job. But I I too am in a position where I think that I've got other questions about this Oregon team like this is going to be a team that I I think that because of the success that they had last season you're you're going to want to try to push it forward like you're going to or at least I, maybe I'm one of the only ones that's guilty of that but when you start to see trajectories form and you start to see programs that are are building with head coaches and seem to be moving in the right direction, the combination of uh, some staff hires that you like, good recruiting classes, good performance, the 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 messaging and the mojo around a group seems to be really positive. You've got like a you've you've got an Oregon team that you're like, all right, well, you know this this should be the next step. But man, when you are losing all of that, like you are going to have Penny Sewell, but I think that a lot of turnover on the offensive line is going to be something that's really difficult to overcome. I think that you are going to be, as we're going to continue to dive into this division, you've got other teams that were down that I do not expect to stay down. And you've got a, you've got a very fascinating, like we'll do the win totals later in the year, but you've got another season where just like this year, where they had that Auburn game, and it was, you know, they were right there, and it could have been a totally different season if Oregon is able to to take down the Tigers. They've got Ohio State in Eugene on September 12th this season. As much positivity as, uh, you know, you can have about the general big-picture trajectory of this Oregon program, I will fall short of considering them a college football playoff dark horse contender because right now, as we sit here, you know, for all the meaning that can be applied to a March 30th statement, I don't think that this is going to be a team that's good enough to take down Ohio State. And if they don't do that, well, then it just makes it that much tougher to uh, to make it into the college football playoff. So I look at Oregon and I'm like, you know, where are we at with Oregon? What are we expecting? I think the program's in great shape. I think it's in good health. But I think that I will be looking at the Ducks as one of those teams that is probably a Pac-12 championship contender, but I'm not ready to push them that next step to to continue what would be a linear trajectory on into the college football playoff. Yeah, you mentioned that Ohio State game. I mean, the week before, they've got North Dakota State, which I think we all agree, not exactly a pushover of an FCS matchup. The I also think that the next step for, for Oregon doesn't have to be getting to the college football playoffs this year. I think the next step just has to be, I mean, hey, get, winning the Pac-12 North, that, that's a successful season. And, I mean, not that that's a given by any stretch either, but, like, this just has to be another, like, get to 10 wins again. Um, get to get to 10 and 3, get to, you know, 9 and 3 maybe is is a minimum to continue feeling good about the tra- trajectory of the program. But you're right, Chip. Like, I don't think this has to be, like, a new quarterback – turned over the offensive line this doesn't have to be a breakthrough year but but i think you you want this to be another really successful year where you feel like you're one of the powers in college football turning our i do think go ahead oh i was just i do think they have a chance too to have i mean we focused on the offense because like you said the I, i'm more worried about the offensive line than anything because panay sewell may be awesome but four new starters on your offensive line with that schedule early is not going to be easy to deal with. But I also think this is a team that has a chance to have a very good defense. They a, they, I, yeah, because yeah. everyone came back. Yeah, so if if you look at this, could end up being one of the best defenses in the conference, and I think that alone is probably going to make them a favorite just because I don't, I don't know if there's going to be a better unit in the Pac-12 than the Oregon defense. So if the offense needs time to come along – this could be one of those situations where they have a couple early. They, they, they're probably going to lose that Ohio State game. They might even lose another game at some point early on. But I feel like at the end of the season, this could be a team that's kind of really playing well. Like you look up and uh, they end up being like the best three loss team, like the best 10 and three team in the final rankings. Yeah. Yeah. I could see right. something like that. All right. Let's, uh, let's turn our attention to Seattle, Washington, where 
We've got the Huskies. The transition is taking place. This this eight and five. We mentioned the four and five conference record for the Huskies. Definitely a disappointment. Definitely a step back from where that program had been uh, in the previous, I guess, two seasons or so under Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson hands it over to Jimmy Lake. Uh, we lose Jacob Eason, Salvan Ahmed onto the NFL draft, and and Jimmy Lake by his own. I mean, I, I, I don't know if the mad scientist is the right name, but... What's going to be a little bit different is I am passionate about X's and O's. Oh, yes, he is. I am passionate about football strategy. It's what has driven me really um, in the beginnings of my career, uh, going all the way up to the National Football League and, and then really taking the next step there. And so that's really what I want to do is, is um, you know, bleed that passion over into all three phases uh, offense, defense, and special teams. And I think that's where we'll be um, a little bit different, um, a little bit more attacking, a little bit more aggressive. Um, I forgot he'd put an attacking and, and aggressive at the end of that because those are right there on the bingo card for an intro- introductory press conference. But um, let's see, we've got you know other other little notes here. I've got, you got Jacob Sermon, who I'd, I'd forgotten. is just a massive human being, Barton. Like 6'5", 234 pounds. Big dude. Uh, redshirt freshman Dylan Morris and true freshman Ethan Garbers all in that uh, conversation. Statistically, they weren't really good. They're outside of the top 50 in yards per play offense, outside of the top 25 in yards per play defense. Um, so are we? do we think that the mad scientist Jimmy Lake is going to be able to take chalkboard success and translate it to the field? Well, he's a, he's hiring John Donovan as, as his offensive coordinator, which is a little bit of an outside-the-box hire. So he went NFL, went someone that I guess is going to match his, his passion for X's and O's. Uh, John Donovan was James Franklin's offensive coordinator at Vanderbilt and um, Penn State before they made the switch to Joe Moorhead. And he's been, I guess he was with the Jaguars um, ever since then. And... So I think that like that in and of itself is, is is an interesting hire to to try to be more attacking, um, more downfield. He wants to be more vertical. He said less horizontal in both the pass game and the run game. So I mean that that's saying all the right things in terms of like getting the fan base excited. Um, and I'll say this too, like so the the quarterback position is critical, and and among all the spring practices around the country like this would have been the one one of the ones that was most interesting to to parse from a quarterback competition standpoint jacob sermon i mean they're all highly touted really i mean this it's a it's a room full of highly regarded quarterbacks sermon is the senior member of the room a guy that this time last year was in the transfer portal and then he pulled his name out of the transfer portal uh him and colton yankoff colson yankoff were um transferring at the same time same class. He pulled himself out. Now he's sort of got the inside track to the starting job. But, you know, like it wouldn't surprise me at all if Ethan Garbers, who's Chase Garbers' younger brother, who's a true freshman, it wouldn't shock me if he comes in and wins the job. He, he had a monster senior season, like 71 touchdowns as a Jeez. Um, and so he's a guy that I think could potentially win the job. I don't think I, – I don't like have a lot of confidence in Sermon – being the the long term answer, um, but that's why the spring would have been interesting. Like that could have totally, you know, I could have changed my perspective on him based on what he looked like in the spring. I will say this about Washington: they lost. So when I use Bill Conley's returning production, um, Washington is 127th oh. out of 130 mm-hmm. in, off- in offensive returning production. That said, so like you're talking about Eason gone, you're talking about Salvin Ahmed gone, you're talking about um, does he does he factor in offensive line starts in that? Uh, do you know Tom? I anyways, think so, but I don't know how. Yeah. So anyways, there's a lot of three offensive linemen gone that are, might be playing in the NFL next year. But I I think that they've recruited like this will be their most talented wide receiving group from a recruiting perspective. In who knows how long. That doesn't mean they're that they're gonna like pan out and be really good because quarterbacks got to hit, offense has got to click, and these guys have to live up to their to the billing. 
But I do think that there's like big athletic, talented players at the receiver position, and you know they've got some backs, they've got some carries last year as well. So I'm I'm pretty fascinated with what this this offense under John Donovan is going to look like. Now I'm I can't because you know you mentioned Ethan Garbers. If Ethan Garbers wins the job, Washington plays at Cal on Halloween. What if Chase Garbers dresses up as Ethan and Ethan dresses up as Chase? Then I think Washington wins, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm just uh, now that's going to be something I want to see happen. Now, I this is, yeah, th- this is an offense that we had know absolutely nothing about because there's a new OC. Maybe there'll be a new philosophy. Maybe there won't be, but. There's completely new coaches on the sideline running it. There's completely new players on the field who will be executing it. It's going to be an interesting situation, and you look at Washington, and they don't exactly have the easiest open to their schedule either. They're hosting Michigan in their season open, and this is all, of course, assuming that things go according to schedule. But I I don't know what to expect from Washington this year because I, I was high on them going into the season last year. And they kind of, you know, they they clearly they fell on their face. They went four and five in the Pac-12. They finished eight and five overall. And I I don't know what this team is going to be. I don't think that even with all of like Oregon's losses on offense itself, I don't know how if we look at recruiting Washington. Even it has a very good recruiting class, but I don't think it has that kind of depth that Cristobal so- built somewhat in the last couple of years at Oregon, where I I feel confident that Washington's going to be able to close that gap in the North is because, I mean, it was a very wide gap last year. So it's, it's an interesting situation to follow with a whole lot more questions for me than answers at this point. Is it just the recruiting? Is it the infrastructure? Is it, what is it about the, the Washington football program that inspires um, the assumption that you're going to be able to to have some kind of bounce back because for the Steve Sarkeesian era, there was a ceiling. Steve Sark was bumping his head. He had very good teams. He had interesting teams. He had teams that caused you know some problems for a Stanford that was trying to win a Pac-12 championship during the uh, David Shaw's first couple seasons. But then you know things sort of broke out with Coach Pete and Peterson had a couple years of struggling there at the beginning. You know, 2016 they get the Pac-12 championship, they get the college football playoff, some double-digit win seasons after that. Like, is it is it in the ebbs and flows of of college football? Should we expect that Washington the step back? It might be a year or two or three before they're able to cycle back up. It could be, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I feel like. Chris Peterson deserves a lot of credit for, you know, being able to do what Sark wasn't able to do just from coaching the team up and developing that program. And now Jimmy Lake's taking it over. And, you know, we haven't seen Jimmy as a head coach yet. I've respected the hell out of his defenses for the last few years. But now those are, you know, it. Chris Peterson was a very good coach. I think we can all three of us agree on that. And those are some pretty big shoes that he has to step into in order to get this program back. And while... Washington clearly has some success in its past, and it's had success in its recent past. It was in the playoff not too long ago. It's not the kind of program where I think we could just assume it's going to get everything back. It might, like you said, it might be three or four years before we really see this thing take off again, and it might never take off again. Moving on to the Cal Bears. the Gar- We're going to just make a Garbers family connection right here. Yeah. The uh, Cal, I mean, Cal, right now, Things are in a very interesting position. This is going 2020 that if it should it go as scheduled would be year four for Justin Wilcox. Uh, so far in three years, he's 20 and 18 overall. He's got uh, two bowl appearances and his win total has increased every single season. Uh, it's the first time that Cal has been bowl eligible in two years in a row since 2009. And in the last two years, they've got wins against Washington State when Washington State was a top 10 team. Washington, Stanford, and USC, that Stanford win, absolutely huge. I think uh, the first win in that rivalry game in more than a decade. But as we're looking at uh, as we're looking at Cal, you know, you think because of Justin Wilcox that this is and because um not Evan, was it Evan Weaver or Curtis Weaver played for Cal? Evan Weaver, right? Evan. Evan yeah. yeah. Uh, Curtis is the, the end. For Boise, for Boise State. State. Yeah. yeah. 
Evan Weaver, you know, just tackle monster, uh, you know, good, solid defense, some low scores. I, I guess that the, 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 let's do the big question, but my, my sort of wrinkle here was the, the defense wasn't exactly elite statistically. Some of that might have been because of an offense that struggled a little bit at times. But as I was just sort of looking at the um, profile of this Cal team and how they performed in 2019, it, it seemed like, kind of like a just figure it out. Their, their final record and their results looked honestly better than their statistical profile. And so as we approach a really, really big year four, you know, a year four where being able to continue this trajectory that Wilcox has would just be, you know, absolutely massive. You know, where's our confidence that Cal is uh, a bowl team, you know, that Cal is a team that is going to um, still be able to notch at least a win or two against teams that we think are better than them in the Pac-12 you know, is this is this a year that is a continuation of where Wilcox has taken this thing, or is this year maybe a little bit more of a regression to the mean? I think they're fully capable of finishing in second place in the division. Mm. I don't think they're at Oregon's level, but I do think that they will prove to be the tougher test for Oregon this year. Because if you just look at it, yeah, that defense, I think, statistically wasn't great, and it wasn't super talented. It was just kind of really good at being a pain in the butt. Right, you know, to opposing offenses, it's nothing great about it. They just, they they made you fight for everything you got, and a lot of teams are able to get it on them. But f- from my standpoint, the thing that's really held Cal back under Wilcox has been an offense that really hasn't been very good. But if you look, I mean, we mentioned Chase Garbers. Cal's entering the season with, I think, we can all agree, the best quarterback in the division because he's really the only one with any experience, and sure. he's, you know, he's good. But if you just look overall, going back to Bill Connolly's, you know, returning production charts, Cal's got the most experienced offense returning in the country. Wow. So there is a lot of returning experience on there. The defense will probably improve. We know the defense will be well coached, if not super talented. And I think offensively, this is a team with, you know, fine with defined roles and a very good quarterback. So I think that if that offense can take a step forward and that defense can keep plugging along at the same levels, a team that's, you know, it was eight and five overall last year, four and five in the conference. I think this is a team that could get to nine wins and maybe flirt with a 10 win season. It's got a somewhat reasonable schedule, not an easy one, but like the non-conference is UNLV, TCU and Cal Poly. That's not impossible. When I took uh, my official visit, to Yale and I came back home and my dad asked like when I met with the defensive coordinator and my dad was like well how was it you know what tell me about him I was like oh I don't know like he's kind of older guys sort of maybe mid-60s or so liked him seemed like a good deal um turns out he was like 42 like just a <laughs> just a really like weathered old like like coach like old school football guy like sometimes these guys just kind of age yeah you know they get, get a lot of years on them um Cal's new offensive coordinator. Do you guys have you all noticed who they hired? Is there a new OC? No. B- Bill Musgrave. Okay. Bill Musgrave, who has been has spent every year of his coaching career in the NFL, with the exception of like two back in the early two thousands. Um, he he looks like he's another another of these guys who looks like he's like seventy, but he's like fifty two, and just a weathered old football coach, and. It's but this but like you look at his resume and it's Raiders, Eagles, Panthers, Jaguars, Redskins, Falcons, Vikings, Eagles, Raiders, Broncos, Cal, and he looks I like Paul think, Petrino. He does a little bit, yeah. <laughs> and I, I I just think like in most situations I would be skeptical of hiring like a weathered NFL guy to come in and fix your offense or at least sort of spruce up your offense but nothing that none of the ways Justin Wilcox has won have really made any sense from the beginning like we've never really been able to figure out like you talked about Chip like their their statistical profile was sort of head scratching but you know they found a way uh they've had horrible offenses and yet here they are and like their offense might actually be their strength this year they uh that they just they've had when you look at their offensive coordinators before this, going back to Sonny Dykes, like it's been it's been the Sonny Dykes 
Jake Spavitoff, Tony Franklin, Air Raid World. Then you go Bo Baldwin, who's a spread background guy. And all this paired with a defensive-minded coach and Justin Wilcox, and now he's going to this Bill Musgrave NFL system. So all of it is is very um, like perplexing, what it's going to look like. But I have a, I, I'm getting to the point where I sort of trust Justin Wilcox here. And Chase Garbers is coming back, and they've – They've got the talk about those Bill Conley returning production numbers. Uh, they've got they're number one in the country in returning offensive production. Um, so I think the defense will be okay. I think the defense will will. I just sort of trust them to have the defense figured out. I wouldn't otherwise be excited about a Bill Musgrave kind of offensive coordinator hire, but you know they've they they've got some pretty good personnel returning, and you know maybe this will work. All right, so Wilcox played at Oregon from 96 to 99, and Bill Musgrave was a four-year starter at Oregon. Quarterback. Quarterback from 88 to 90. So I guess they they just missed each other. He came in after him. Uh, Three-year team captain, four-year starter, led Oregon to its first bowl game in 26 years. His... Career passing records and touchdown records were the school's all-time leader until it was broken by Marcus Mariota. There you go. Ducks, the guy was a, the boys. Guy was a fourth round draft pick, you know? Oregon, six overall. Old Oregon boys in the building. Um, yeah, I'm I, I think Cal, I think that I think that you might be Cal might be the the team with the the most to be outside of Oregon. Cal might be the team with uh, some of the most to be excited about, at least in terms of uh, continuing in that trajectory. All right, and and you know the the before we get off Cal, uh, you know we got got to give Cal a lot of love. But here, but but like part of the reason it was going to be interesting to watch Cal in the spring too, in, in light of the kind of new offensive coordinator, like they're now system systematically moving more towards like a fullback tight end offense they're gonna have a fullback in their offense hell yeah so so that's that could that could be fun to watch um and again we're talking about um i don't know zigging when everyone else is zagging going counterculture a little bit like it's there there has been a time when it's like bring in the nfl guy for fullbacks and tight ends and oh yawn this offense is gonna suck well now like if you look at the way the nfl is using tight ends and fullbacks um, and you look at the way college football is moving away from that, like if it's done right, perhaps that's 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 uh, an encouraging sign. I mean, both teams in the Super Bowl utilized fullbacks. Coincidence? That's what I'm saying, and, the, and like Maybe. Those, and the run games for those teams are are the mo- are more fun to watch than their pass game, and mm-hmm. so like it it's yeah maybe maybe this is maybe they're onto something here. Coming up on the other side, we continue our journey through the Pac-12 North with Oregon State, Washington State, and what in the world is going on on the farm. Next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. We, uh... (laughs) We looked at Oregon State. We championed Oregon State a little bit. Uh, I think they, uh, you know, they got us some good covers. I feel like they were talked about a lot in the locks. And as I, I went back to review it, the season, 
you know, review my notes from the season. I feel like, uh, you know, you've got the win against UCLA, win against Cal, uh, beat uh, UCLA, Cal, and Arizona were all on the road. They beat Arizona State, good Arizona State team at home. You you look at Oregon State at the like the Bill C early projections have them around. I think. Uh, top 75, so slightly below average and certainly near the bottom of the Power Five. And I just have all these anecdotal memories of even when I was tuning in to watch these Oregon State games, which I will admit, oftentimes on a college football Saturday was happening in slivers. You know, the the Oregon State game was not always on a primary screen, was not always going to get what the audio was going to be, you know, wasn't necessarily going to be the game that we were going to be going deep dive on on our Saturday night instant reaction podcast but man, like, I just, I was like, man, Oregon State's not bad. Oregon State's a, a good football team. Like, I, what, what do you, what are you able to hold on to from a tangible evidence standpoint to be able to carry forward for Oregon State to, to back that up, to suggest that, you know what, like this, this Beavers team, you know, they, they lost to Hawaii early. That was absolute, that was tough. But of course, Hawaii ended up being a team that would go on to contend for the Mountain West title. You know, a couple breaks go differently, like the Stanford game, for example, which was really, really close and, and just kind of a heartbreaking loss for the Beavers there. Like this could have been a bowl team and this could have been a, a really mo- momentous occasion for Jonathan Smith, the former Oregon State star quarterback. So like where what's what is the actual like football identity? Because as I've been flipping through my notes and reviewing the, the season as a whole, I felt like it was a good season but statistically, I don't have a lot to hang my hat on. And as I start to look ahead towards the future, I wonder if it's going to be, um, I wonder if it's just going to be a, another season of moral victories. <sighs> That's, I mean, look, if if we weren't already spoken for by the Georgia Bulldogs, this could very well be an Oregon Beaver State podcast. podcast. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're kind of our West Coast team. Yeah. Yeah. If, 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 if Georgia and Oregon State played each other, we would have we, we would not really be able to honestly pick a favorite because you can't choose between your two children. It's I think like I'm I still would be willing. I'm a little bit scared that uh, a lot of people kind of caught on to Oregon State late. People that maybe didn't pick Oregon State to cover the the over on the win totals bet, but just people that jumped on the train midseason after a couple of those wins you were talking about. Uh, and so I'm. I, there's no telling what kind of line Vegas is going to give for their win totals. Uh, but I would be a little bit tempted to just say, you know what, like it's probably still going to be fairly low. I, I think Oregon State just blindly, I'll just blindly bet all their, their games against the spread and blindly take the over on the win total. Because I just, I just like the direction things are going here. And when you're talking about Oregon State from a, a like expectation standpoint, right? So like they, this is sort of the opposite of the inverse of Cal. Cal has, you know, all this talent returning on offenses that have been really bad, and doesn't return much on defenses that have been really good. Well, Oregon State is returning some of the most production defensively of anyone in the country, and they're getting some guys back from injury and they're getting some transfers eligible and offensively there is where they they really lose a lot but I still think Tristan Jebbia probably is their quarterback who is not super talented but Jim Rat kind of guy kind of Ken Ken Dorsey-ish now can can Oregon State put a, a Miami Hurricanes kind of talent around know. him <laughs> uh, probably not but he's got some Ken Dorsey in him and I still think that there's there's reason to be optimistic on uh on what's to come there i'm not super optimistic myself mm. i, I, I will we'll remember this we'll we'll remember this this is good mark this down <laughs> i'm 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 buying i'm I'm still gonna continue to support my child the beavers and you are abandoning them go ahead and tell me why listen i was wearing my oregon state shirt yesterday all right <laughs> and i only wore it two days in a row <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> quarantine life uh my concerns stem from the fact that as we've gone over, you know, with only one team in the division finishing with a winning record last year, it was obviously a down year for the Pac-12 North. 
And I thought maybe Oregon State had taken advantage of that. But then I looked, and against the division last year, this was an Oregon State team that, in the division's worst year, went 1-4 and four against division opponents. Its lone win was on the road against Cal. And But, you know, it lost to Stanford in Stanford's worst season at home. It lost to Washington, although it didn't get blown out. And then it lost. A, remember the thriller against Wazoo, that 54-53 game? Yeah. It lost that one. And then it lost to Oregon 24-10 in the Civil War. And I look at that and I say, you know, I feel like the rest of the division is going to be better than last year. At least some of the teams are. So if, if Oregon State struggled to beat them last year, I'm not, I can't be incredibly confident that they're going to figure it out and beat them this year. And you mentioned that they have a ton of experience turning on defense, and that's true. It's just that experience needs to improve a lot because they gave up 32.5 points per game last year. They finished 105th in the nation in points allowed per game, 108th in you know yards allowed per game. This was not a good defense. And the offense is what they relied on, and they have a lot to replace on that offense. Now, the good news is I think if Jonathan Smith has a specialty as a coach, it's going to be to, to be able to find a way to score points with their offense. So that's going to be good. It's just I think this team needs to make a serious step forward on defense to maintain the momentum that it started building last year. And maybe that returning experience helps them do that. It's just I'm not super optimistic. And when I look at the 2020 schedule, I see a team that, you know, I think it's more likely to be three and nine than five and seven. They were, they were, are they a year behind Cal? I mean, I know I, that they actually are a year behind Cal, but in, is that, would, would that be wrong to sort of line up those two programs, especially within the neighborhood of the Pac-12 North and sort of see that Cal is, is cresting before Oregon State is? And that's probably the most optimistic view on Oregon State. That's probably, Barton, a little bit closer to your line of thinking here than, uh, than the idea that they're going to fall back is that you, you're not totally sure how it's all being put together, but I could, I mean, if Oregon state went to, you know, it's, it's hilarious because you could say Oregon state finished tied for second in the PAC 12 North. That's a true statement, but Oregon state also went four and five and had a sub 500 conference record. So like, which, which of those two sides are, are, are we leaning more towards when but we're their moving total preseason was, was what? Two, two and a half. Yeah, but so like, you got to remember how bad they were before. Oh, for sure. How low the expectations were for good reason, and how dramatic the improvement really looked. I like, just even the games they lost. They, you know, like y'all y'all rattled off the 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 scores. They lost in competitive fashion. Like mm-hmm. it was a competitive team the whole year. It didn't get a couple like lucky bounces. That that's and. Like I said, I I have some faith in Jonathan Smith to put to to put piece together an offense, especially with the court. Like Tristan Jebbia is the type of quarterback. Assuming he even wins a job, but they they got I think they have a JUCO coming in. Like, but he's the type of quarterback that is probably like he's probably not going to play in the NFL. But and they're probably at some point going to recruit someone better than that might that might take his job later. But like he's the type of quarterback that can like give you a bridge. And keep you competitive, um, and I, I just I think that it's I think it's still reasonable to uh, to expect that they could still go have like a five and seven kind of year. Well, I I think that when we like if you're judging improvement by like a team's win loss record, it's not always linear. There sure. could be a there. Sure. This is a program that could still be improving and heading in the right direction, but maybe not win five games. It might be four and eight. It might be three and nine. So there might be a little dip, but you're still seeing signs that everything is still heading the right way. And it's certainly improved over what we saw. So I think that maybe last year's five and seven record was awesome. And we loved the hell out of it because they were covering and we got the wind total. But I think that the record could be a little misleading at the same time, too. You know that uh, our spring gleaning series is going to end up influencing Las Vegas wind totals. Probably. Sure. We are. We are that influential. We're, we're a powerhouse. We're the first ones out. You know, mm-hmm. this is like Mr. Lindy from Lindy's always used to get taken out to lunch in Las Vegas. If so people could pick his brain. We're going to finish this series. We're going to be the best 2020 preview in the country available in April. They're going to take us to video conference lunches. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'll, I'll, I'll wipe down all of the uh, box lunches with uh, with disinfectant wipes. All right, let's uh, let's let's head back to uh, Washington and and take a look at Pullman. Uh, Mike Leach leaves for Mississippi State, and Washington State brings in Nick Rolovich from Hawaii. And you know we've we talked about him when we were grading all of our press conferences. We loved that he had the jokes. We loved that he has the personality. Um, you know the the common thread of of little bits of fun that Nick Rolovich brings has included uh, Britney Spears in personer and a tarot card reader that he brought to the Mountain West Media Days. But I think the thing that I'm, I'm carrying into my, you know, Nick Rolovich file moving forward is, hey, he showed up at Hawaii, a program that has had a proud history and some very, very interesting peaks throughout its time. And look, he got 18 wins in the last two seasons, uh, had them as a Mountain West Conference Championship contender, but he's, he's stepping into uh, a Washington State team that you know, there's going to be a little bit of turnover from everything that's happened with Mike Leach. Now, you've got a couple pieces that are interesting, but I would say that in terms of his own staff hire, uh, he hired Wyoming defensive coordinator Jake Dickert. Now, we know that the Cowboys are methodical in the way they go about their business, so scores are definitely going to be down, but this was also a Wyoming defense that was really solid, good assignment football, and top 30 in terms of yards per play defense. So as we look at you know Washington State trying to avoid falling to the cellar in a hyper-competitive division where Cal and Oregon State and Stanford and Washington are all trying to take steps forward after disappointing seasons, where's our level of confidence that Washington State is going to be able to keep pace here because as I look into my own, as I look at my own set of tarot cards here, I can be upbeat about the idea of Nick Rolovich big picture at Washington State, but I am willing to give him a little bit of a year zero or transition year, especially losing spring practice with all the turnover, both schematically and with personnel. I, I think that's very fair because I mean, if, if we look at Washington State, with just the transition because everybody's going to be playing. I mean, you could look at Leach's air raid offense and you could look at the kind of run and shoot that they're running and you could look at the kind of offense they'll be running now. There are a lot of similarities, but there's, there's also a lot of new stuff that you have to learn. And like you said, without having a spring practice, that is going to slow down that process. And it's going to be one of those things that we're going to probably talk about a lot over the coming weeks. It's just particularly with schools, with new coaches, Everybody's impacted, but I feel like schools with new coaches are going to have a more difficult time with this stuff than anybody else. So, yeah, I, I think that when I look at Wazoo, I'm, I don't know who the best player is on this team anymore. Like, who who's the guy? I mean, is it Max Borgie? Yeah, I, I think mean, it, I, I think that my answer might be Max Borgie. Wait, wh- wh- why is everyone like uh, like why are you asking that question incredulously, credulously, and why are you Chip saying like? saying, yeah, I think my answer might be Max Borgie from a... Like, Max Borgie's a stud. He is. It's just, he's also, you know, he's not... He's not somebody you're trying to build your offense around, but he's he's a good player. Oh, I, I think Max Borgie is going to be a monster in this offense. I I forgot that is your take, Martin. Uh, I I said Max Borgie because he's the first name that comes to mind because he was firing off tweets after Leach left. Oh yeah, what was his? Was he pissed? No, he was like, "Oh man, I'm looking forward to getting these oh, rushing right. attempts." That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, I just like him. That's why I said Max Borgie. Yeah, I mean he is though. That he's their best player. I think that's a good. That's a that's a high quality best player to have on offense. To so, rock with that. So all right. So where where are you at with Washington State? Are you given a year zero, or you're setting? Are you setting a bar a little I bit higher? I have no idea. I have no idea because I never could peg Washington State from a from a like when Mike Leach was there I couldn't even really peg Washington State and so I certainly don't feel like I've got a firm grip on him with a new head coach I mean my question is going to be I mean this was another watch the quarterback competition in the spring kind of deal for, for me um Cam and Cooper and Gunnar Cruz I assume were sort of the lead contenders for the quarterback job but um and both those guys are legitimately talented uh, but I have no idea whether they're good quarterbacks in college. I just know they have like strong arms and they're big. And so um, there was a lot to learn on that front. And those guys had to figure out a new offense. 
their offensive line is is got some depth and has a lot of talent. Like there's NFL guys in their offensive line. They have experience at wide receiver. Like there's all the pieces to have a really good offense as long as there's a quarterback that is competent. Um, and you know that's with I mean they played a couple quarterbacks in Hawaii last year. So maybe this is a system where like you'll just you'll see the hot hands. Um, I feel like I have a less of a handle on what Washington State is going to look like defensively, um, even though that's where they return more experience. But uh, you know that that wasn't always pretty last year on defense either. So I don't know. I I, I think um, I think this is sort of a six and six is seven and five ish kind of team more than likely. But I think it's all it, it, that could very dramatically based on how good the quarterback play is. Yeah, and they do have a schedule that is somewhat friendly. I mean, their non-con is Utah State on the road, but then Houston and Idaho at home. And in conference, they're getting Cal at home, they're getting Utah at home, they're getting Oregon at home, and they get Washington at home. Their road games are Stanford, Colorado, UCLA, and Oregon State, which are all pretty winnable. So... The schedule does do them some favors, so maybe this is a team that even even if I still think it's kind of a year zero, it might be a pleasant year zero. Of all the teams in this division, uh, I think Washington State, I would probably say, I agree, I've got the least handle on, and uh, and who knows? That, that, could, that could make it very, very exciting, but it definitely, it doesn't sound like a team that I'm going to have a lock on for the win total, uh, that's for sure. Speaking of win total locks, you, Barton, were ahead of everybody on this one. And I, I we might have even had a, a win total lock fight. But you saw, you saw it. You saw it coming. You were nervous. You, you weren't nervous about it, but you were like, man, I don't like it. I don't, I don't like this. I don't like what I'm seeing from Stanford. And, and you did, in fact, uh, hunt out. I think the the win total for Stanford was somewhere around seven and a half or seven. Was, no, no, no. I'll tell you what happened. It was I didn't make this a lock, but when we went through conference by conference and we picked a win total for every conference and every team in the country, Power Five, I think the Stanford total was six and a half. And you went and under. So I went under. I was like, this is this is so low that I am too scared to make it a lock. But yes, if, if I'm gonna make if I'm gonna pick a side here, I'm picking the under. Uh and I, I told you were crazy. I was like, Are you kidding me? Like that hasn't happened. I said there has not been a time since David Shaw was promoted to head coach that we've been, even had less than eight wins. Like I thought it was easy over. David Shaw won at least a share of the Pac twelve North in five of his first seven seasons, including three Pac twelve championships. Two Rose Bowl wins, three Rose Bowl appearances, four top 15 finishes. He's the winningest coach in Stanford history. He's been named Pac-12 Coach of the Year four times. And for the first time since 2008, they were not bowl eligible with their worst record since 2007. There were injury issues all over the place. Uh, At one point, I think in the UCLA game, Stanford was down to its third-string quarterback and had just six healthy offensive linemen, with three of those six healthy offensive linemen being true freshmen. All-American candidate Walker Little knocked out for the year in September. He announced at the end of the season he will be back, and it sort of set off a, a little bit of momentum here because... Stanford's 2017 recruiting class was ranked number 12 nationally with just 14 players. Now, Colby Parkinson has gone to the NFL draft, but the rest of that group is back, including Davis Mills, a former five-star prospect who was ranked ahead of Tua Tugavailoa and Jake Fromm. Now, he's dealt with knee issues, but with KJ Costello gone and Davis Mills finally healthy, He's kind of in a position to potentially fulfill that five-star ceiling. It looks like Stanford is going to be trying to rely on a a passing attack that will highlight Mills' arm on the defensive side. I think we're still looking for that defense to be dominant as it was during the peak under David Shaw um, from a star from a star conversation. uh, Paulson Adebo, an an All-American defensive back, is going to be back. So, you know... They uh this this Stanford team 
And I guess, uh, Barton, I'll let you jump in on this from the, the Davis Mills side. Like, Do you believe that Davis Mills is going to be able to stay healthy for the entire season, that he's going to be able to show why coming out of high school he was right running right there with Tua and with Fromm, and is, is a passing offense or is this Stanford offense with Davis Mills leading the way, is that going to be enough for the Cardinal to be able to to dig itself out of this little rut that it got in in the last maybe year and a half? Oh, I mean, first of all, the Davis Mills question, I mean, yeah, I hope so. I'm still, I still think that there's a chance for him to be, I mean, to take a, I don't know if he's got a chance to be the best quarterback from that class because Tua Tungavailoas turned out to be a pretty, pretty darn good one. Um, but I still think there's a chance he could be a first round kind of talent, certainly an early round draft pick kind of talent. Um, he just got to stay healthy and he's got to get like, he's got to have a competent offense around him. And I think the, the things that are encouraging if you're Stanford is they return a lot of the playmakers on the perimeter at wide receiver that were a strength. I mean, David Shaw told us that that was sort of why they were throwing it so much is because they were playing to their strengths. So, all right, they get those guys back. Uh, You mentioned Walker Little returns. But they also have, like, Devery Hamilton, Henry Haddis, Dylan Powell, three offensive linemen transferring to Power 5 programs um, that I assume a couple of those guys would have or could have started. So like this, this the offensive line depth still isn't what they want it, want to be. So that, that worries me a little bit, and I just think generally we're still in this de- decline. Generally speaking, like the decline is is continuing for Stanford. That I, I I don't expect this to turn around this year. Um, only because like what indication have we seen that it will? Right. And, uh, what's you know the the same reasons that I was sniffed out some crumbling foundation there was what Shannon Turley their off their their strength and conditioning coach was gone Mike Bloomgren their offensive line coach and offensive coordinator was gone as as those guys left some of the toughness seemed to leave too some of the you know certainly some of the identity seemed to leave now when you look at defense like there's like an area where they don't seem like they have a lot of depth and strength is the defensive line. Like remember back in the, in the good old days when Stanford was really good, like the defensive line was, was pretty sick. Like those guys were nasty up front and I'm not really seeing that right now in, in, in a significant way. And so like all the same things that I was concerned about are still there. Um, so I, I you know, David Shaw's kind of got to get off the mat here and, uh, change something. But, uh, you know, I, I'll run a lot of this back, I guess when we do our win totals in the summer, um, but I, I was hoping to see some of this answered in the spring for sure. Yeah, I mean, this is a team with, if you compare it to the rest of the Pac-12, this is a team that has, you know, up there with Cal, but probably more so overall, the most returning production. So it's a veteran team, so that they don't have that excuse. And I think a lot of it's going to come down to, you spent a lot of time talking about it, Davis Mills. I think that if he can play and stay healthy, and play to the level that got him so rated so highly as a recruit, then that's going to cover a lot of problems that Stanford has. If he doesn't, then all those flaws that Barton's been t- telling us about for a year, those things, those like little cracks right beneath the surface that are starting to show up are just going to get, you know, more and more visible and you're going to see worse results on the field. And I'm not, Chip, you mentioned that you know Washington State is probably the team you have the least sense about going into next year. I'm right. kind of there with Stanford. It's like I, I really don't know because I was I was caught very much, even though Barton warned me, I was caught very much off guard. But by what I saw from Stanford last year, so I'm kind of entering this year in a okay. I'm not even trying to come up with a conclusion. I just kind of want to see what happens. Well, because I tell you, can I tell you what the Stanford team reminds me of right now, or like what the Stanford program reminds me of? Yeah, late. Tenure, Brett Bielema, Arkansas. Mm. Hmm. Like the windows yeah. closed, they're lost, no, no, and they're like grasping the way, like for the, straws. Like, I mean, you, you all remember like the early Arkansas days with Brett Bielema was was, um, 
physical up front. It was Sam Pittman was their offensive line coach. It was, you know, they were providing this physical team that could hold up against the powerhouse in the SEC West. And then they got, um, uh, what's our boy's name, who went from Alabama, was Miami offensive coordinator last year. Enos. Uh, Dan Enos was their coordinator. He, 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 he left his Central Michigan head coaching job to be an offensive coordinator at Arkansas, and they started throwing it around, and they were playing to the Allen brothers' strengths at quarterback, and they just it felt like they lost their way a little bit as they got caught up in the spread, spreadization of college football. I mean... David Shaw's a smart guy. I I don't I don't doubt that, but it feels like he's getting caught up a little bit in the spreadization of college football. I my sort of linger like the most pessimistic side of this, my most pessimistic view of Stanford is that the window is shut, that it is unrealistic and unsustainable for Stanford Stanford, you know, look, let's zoom all the way out. Look at the the whole history of Stanford football. It is unrealistic to expect that Stanford's going to be able to maintain that kind of consistency and that kind of success over long, long stretches of time because it's Stanford. And that is an like that is in some ways sort of unfair, broad stroke generalization. But that is at my most pessimistic the way that I'm looking at this. They had a they had a moment. They had a run, but guess what? There's other teams. Stanford doesn't play in a vacuum, and everybody in that conference and everybody in Stanford's world is trying to get theirs and make sure that they don't get beat by Stanford so that they can be the one on top. That You you just can't expect that a program like Stanford is going to be there forever. The most optimistic part of me says Walker Little's an NFL player. Paulson Adebo's an NFL player. Davis Mills might be an NFL player. There might still be some depth issues, but there's too many true difference makers on that roster for this to be another year of Stanford, not not only falling maybe short of expectations, but missing the bowl season entirely. So I, I think that for David Shaw, a coach who, again, I mentioned it four times, Pac-12 coach of the year, everybody praises David Shaw. The NFL teams, they all love David Shaw. We love listening to him talk on the uh, on the during the NFL draft. Like I guess are we going to have David Shaw on Skype during the NFL draft? I mean, I hope so. He's he's always a part of the broadcast somehow. I I think this is a big year for um a big year for judgment. Like a, a year where we can go into it uh, identifying and highlighting concerns and then seeing if the Stanford team's going to be able to um to address them and, and to be able to take some steps forward, but I am leaning more towards the idea now definitely than I was a year ago when I was ignoring it and trying to act like it didn't exist and I wasn't listening to Barton's warning signs. You know, I'm I'm starting to believe more now that expecting a return to that glory or return to that era where basically every other year you're playing for a Pac-12 championship. I just think that the rest of the division is still get, is getting better, and Stanford is just not sustainable to expect that level of success at that program. I also think Oregon really hurts because not only is Oregon loading up as far as talent-wise, but they're playing a very similar style to the style that made Stanford what it was. Mm. And I think that kind of physical bully ball if you're going up against Oregon every year and they're playing the same way, but they're doing it with better players. Yeah. But like, like going back to that Cal thing, like Cal is, is cycling. It appears back to again, fullback tight ends. You know, maybe they're trying to be a little more bully ball. And look, I I guess Stanford still has a, a fullback position on the roster and they're, they're, that's technically still who they are, but it felt like they got away from that some last year, and I just wonder if they've got the I don't know offensive line depth person. Like you remember when um, I don't know how long ago it was, but like Stanford would roll out these like eight offensive line packages yeah. on yes. the goal line, you know, and it was awesome. And I don't even think they have the bodies to do that anymore. They certainly didn't last year, and I don't think they've revamped enough to do that this year. Like that was what what you built Stanford on. That was what their success was was standing on. Was was that kind of mentality, and they just can't do it anymore. So 
I, until Stanford can do that again, until they can go against the grain and be that team that is you just you pl- you're preparing for spread, you're preparing for spread, you're preparing for spread, and oh damn, now we got to play Stanford and their fullbacks and seven offensive line packages. Um, I don't think like Stanford is never going to be the type of team that recruits the type of players to where they're going to win going head to head, throwing it 35 times a game. Stanford, the, the, the team that went, that missed the bowl season and went three and six in conference play. And definitely the one that got the most amount of minutes on this podcast. (laughs) <laughs> it's just the way it goes. Um, we we I I enjoyed this a lot. I look forward to doing this. We're going to continue to be cruising through the Power Five conferences, uh, as you could probably guess. Coming up later in the week, we will have the Pac-12 South for you. Uh, deep dives on all those teams, including our, our questions for Clay Helton, Chip Kelly. Remember, UCLA will have an advantage if we're playing in empty stadiums. They've done it a lot. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. We're- show is fire country i'm not a hero i'm in orange for a reason they're taking 12 months off your sentence you're free lady with a special epic season finale now that i'm out i need something to get me up in the morning you are a firefighter used to be that will be unforgettable in the name of your life's happiness go get your girl she's getting married tomorrow says when do you let anything get in the way of what you want the fire country season finale friday 9 8 central on cbs and streaming on paramount plus